Charlene and Bob Steinkamp, the founders of Rejoice Marriage Ministries, are pleased to bring you the following message. To find out more about other materials available from Rejoice Marriage Ministries, or if we can minister to you in any other way, please contact us. You can write Rejoice Marriage Ministries, P.O. Box 10548, Pompano Beach, Florida 33061. Please visit our website at www.rejoiceministries.org. Our hope is that you will receive the encouragement from the Lord, and with His strength and power, your marriage can be all that your Heavenly Father planned it to be. Let's turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Today I want to pick up on our theme for our Christmas season and musical, and that is light, the light of the world, the light that Christ is to the world and Christmas around the world. In fact, on the way out today, I encourage you to take your smartphone, your, your cameras on your phones, and all through the lobby, you'll see all of the different scenes from different places around the world. We've set those up as little photo booths, and we encourage you, as a family, as an individual, take a picture and then do a favor for me. It's a way of promoting our program, is put it out on your social uh, your your social sites, whatever that is, and just make mention that it was at Christian Life Center, tag us, and make mention of the program next week. And what that'll do is all of your network, it'll be a soft invitation of what's going to be happening next weekend. In the video we showed you a few moments ago, I want to show you this verse one more time. It was at the end of the video, John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Read the rest with me. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will what? Have the light of life. Father, we thank you that you today, through your word, will speak life into our hearts, that you'll speak and minister to us from your divine word. And I pray today that we will see that we no longer have to walk in darkness We don't have to stay in a place of darkness, but that there is light, and you are light, and the light that you bring brings grace and freedom and deliverance. It brings power that breaks the power of sin. And so today we look to you as the light of the world. Last week, my wife and I were on a missions trip. We flew 41 hours One way, three flights, one flight was 15 hours alone. That was incredible. We went on a missions trip out in the Pacific, um, uh, out in the Pacific, Sri Lanka. We were there for a few days. We were on the island, islands, they were 1,200 islands, make up the country of the Maldives. 1,200 of them are inhabitable. About 100 of those are vacation tourist spots. But this is a nation that is 100% Muslim. For a number of years, we've tried, not only our missions organization, but other mission organizations have tried to penetrate, have tried to find ways to get missionaries there. We do not know of one convert in this country at all. There are no churches. It is against the law. It is a Muslim nation. In fact, when we try to find ways to get into this nation through business or other things, after a number of months, visas are canceled. They have to leave. And we've not been able to penetrate this nation. We came out of the Maldives and went to Sri Lanka where 
our strategy has been to touch and minister to many of those that are coming out of the Maldives to live and work in Sri Lanka where the gospel isn't restricted in Sri Lanka. We do have strong churches there. In fact, last Sunday I preached uh, there in Sri Lanka, one of our churches there, one of our strong uh, national churches. And the strategy is trying to minister and touch those that are coming out of the Maldives, planting themselves in Sri Lanka, praying and believing that we can reach them. And as we reach them, then they're links back to their family, back into their nation where they don't need a visa, but they can naturally go back, will enable us to get a foothold and a beachhead into a nation that we've not yet been able to penetrate. Now, as I read this verse in John chapter 8 and verse 12, when we think about Jesus as the light of the world and we don't have to walk in darkness, for you and I, we think of that and it's like, oh, pastor, I know that. We hear that. We talk about that every Easter season. But I'm telling you, I'm coming from a nation where they do not know the name of Jesus, where they have not had the opportunity for the gospel message to be presented to them. The challenge for them is access to the gospel. They have no access. And when Jesus talks in John chapter 8 and verse 12 that we looked at a moment ago on the screen, and he says we don't have to walk, we never have to walk in darkness if we will follow him. We were on a mission trip praying, God, would you give us an opportunity to penetrate into the midst of darkness with the light of life, which is yourself, Jesus Christ. As I look at this verse and I look at this chapter, I'm moved coming off of this trip. Moved to know that there are some that have never heard, they've never had the access to the gospel. And yet you and I, week after week after week, hear it. We take it for granted. In fact, week after week after week, we get calloused to the word of God. And yet there are many that have not known. They have not heard. They have not had the opportunity. Here in John chapter 8, Jesus makes this statement. And it, it is one of the great statements of the word that I am the light of the world. He makes this statement right after the story of this woman caught in adultery. Now, this woman that's caught in the dark adultery, I can tell you, this is the darkest moment of her life. There's no doubt in my mind. She is going through one of the darkest seasons that she has ever walked through. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're walking through a dark season in your life right now. I pray that if you are, that this word that we will see from John chapter 8 will encourage you what Jesus does as the light of the world that brings light to your life, not just light for the world, but to your life in the midst of darkness. In fact, after the first service, I had a gentleman come, been in our church a couple years now, and he said, Pastor, you haven't known, but for the last couple years, it's been a dark, dark season in our lives. A house that I raised my family in for 35 years, we lost it this last year in foreclosure. And he says, it's broken my heart. My wife lost her job and we weren't able to make the payments. And he says, it's been so very difficult. And yet, can I tell you today, that no matter what dark season you're walking through, and that was the testimony that he said to me, is he said, I held on knowing that Jesus was there with me in the darkest seasons of my life and darkest moments of my life, that he was there with me, and I could hold on to that. 
Well, Jesus is going to give us a powerful, powerful illustration of how he releases grace into our lives in our darkest hours. Look with me in John chapter 8. In verse 2, it says, At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. He sat down and he began to teach them. As he began to teach them, it says, The teachers of the law. Now, that's the theologians. That are those that knew the law, knew all the commands of the law. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman, look at this, underline it, that was caught in adultery. Pause there for a moment. She is literally caught in the act of adultery. Can you imagine that? Somehow they had plotted, somehow in this scene, she is literally entrapped and caught in the very act of adultery. We're not told if she's given time to dress herself. We're not told what happens except for they drag her and they bring her before the Lord. (laughs) Can you imagine the shame, the humiliation, the embarrassment? In this moment, I can guarantee you, this is the darkest moment in her life. The background of our story is that there is a festival, there is a feast that is taking place. So in Jerusalem during the feast, there would be a party-like atmosphere that's happening. And so it could be that she was entering into this party-like atmosphere and she's caught in the act of adultery. Although many theologians and, and many commentaries say that it could also be that these religious teachers, the Pharisees, in trying to entrap Jesus, the scriptures going to tell us that in a moment, that they actually have arranged this. And by the way, they didn't bring him to stand before the Lord. They only brought her to stand before the Lord. Don't you find that a little interesting? But yet here she is and she's brought before the Lord. Look at the scripture now. At the end of verse two, it says that they made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, underline that, in the law, the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? She's guilty. She's been caught. There's no doubt that she is in sin and been caught in sin. And now they're saying, what do you say? In the law of Moses, the Jewish law, it says that we should stone her. But what do you say? Well, in this, look where Jesus, they they were using this to question him as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. The trap is this. These religious leaders knew that there were two laws at work. There was the Jewish law, the law of Moses, that said that if you were caught in the act of adultery, it was grounds to be stoned to death. But in the Roman law, which the, the, the Jewish nation, Israel, was under Roman occupation at this time, the Roman law said that, that this, the sin of adultery, was not a sin worthy of death. So now they're trying to entrap him. They've, they've devised the perfect scenario where they can entrap him and, and bring down his credibility and, and, and begin to attack him. And, and in this, it would, it would show that if Jesus says, yes, we've got to obey the law of Moses and she's got to be stoned, that they would begin to accuse that he would show no mercy, he has no compassion, no love, or any forgiveness. 
Or if he chose to say, no, 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 like the Romans would, that the sin of adultery is not worthy of death, then the Jews would begin to say that he was dishonoring the, the, the word and the, and, and the Jewish law that was before them. And so here Jesus is in this moment where they're trying to entrap him. Now, by the law, the woman was guilty. By the law, she had sinned. By the law, there was a punishment that had to be paid. And can I tell you what Jesus does when Jesus comes, and it's the first point in your outline, is Jesus being the light, the light of who God is and the light of who Christ is always reveals to you and I where we are guilty. The law reveals it. Jesus reveals it. Jesus will not leave us in our sin, but he will always meet us and bring us out of our sin and bring us to a place where we are in right standing with the Lord. But the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, he works and he devises and, and he, he strives to, to hide the consequences of sin to you and I. He tries to get us to rationalize, justify. He tries to get us to, 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 to not understand the, 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 the consequences of the moment where we find ourselves giving in to sin. And in this, in this moment, what we begin to see is Jesus is going to say, yes, the law says this woman is guilty. The law always will reveal our guilt. Jesus will reveal our guilt. But what God is wanting is he's wanting to bring us out of that and bring us into a place of grace where grace is released to you and I. Look over at this verse I have in your outline. Look there in James chapter 2 and verse 10. It says in James 2 and uh, verse 10, the person who keeps every law but makes one little slip is just as guilty as the person who has broken every law that there is. What James is saying, now the, the context of this passage in James is that we cannot have partiality. We cannot show favoritism. And what James is saying is you can keep all the laws, but even if you show favoritism or, or partiality, that one little slip, giving in to that one little area of sin, makes you guilty by breaking all of the law. And, and, and what James is saying is we can try to save ourselves by living according to the, the rules and the regulations and the law. But if we mess up once, then we're guilty of all and we've lost it all. So let me put it into another context for you. In this context, it would mean that the only way that you and I could be saved is that we never make a mistake in our lives at all. Okay, let me say it in another analogy. You go to school, and the only way that you can graduate from pre-K all the way through college, the only way you're going to graduate is if you never miss one question, one answer, you never get anything lower than a 100 on your exams. Now, I don't know about you, but I messed up in pre-K. There's nobody that gets every answer right. Okay, let me give you another analogy. Guys, this one's for you. It's as though you have made it to the major leagues. And you never miss a hit every time you come to the plate. Your batting average is a 1,000. Now, we know professional ball players, if they have a batting average of 400, those guys have the highest contracts that you can have. 
Okay, okay, you're not getting it. It's as though you go to a heat game and the heat never miss a basket. Now you know what I'm talking about because they miss baskets all the time. <laughs> Our heat fan over here just, just got silenced a little bit. But do you see what I'm saying? It's Jesus is saying, one little slip and you've broken all of the law. You are guilty. And what Jesus shows us is that he, being the light, reveals the guilt in you and I. And that guilt is the guilt of our sin. It's the darkness of our life. And we must all realize that we have a dark side. We have sin that has bound us and, and held us down. And until we repent of it and turn from it, we're guilty of all of the law and the guilt the, 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 the sin makes us guilty and therefore that guilt means that we are eternally separated from God the Father. Here in Psalms, uh, I got in your notes, Psalms 38 and verse 4, David says this about his guilt. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. What is guilt, you ask? Well, guilt is like a warning light. It's, in fact, God's warning light in your life, in my life. God gives us this guilt, and this guilt is there to show us when something is wrong that needs to be fixed. If we ignore the light, if we try to pretend as though nothing is wrong, what happens is, is, is that we begin to deceive ourselves. Well, what do you mean? It's like God's warning light. Well, it's like if you were driving your car. I came back from this missions trip on Wednesday night. We got back late. I got into my car two, uh, Thursday morning. And as I got into my car, I got this little warning light that says low tire pressure. The light comes on. In fact, here's a, a few lights that you can have in a car. You know, here you see this individual has uh, low oil. Something's with this key. I don't know what that is. The doors are open. The brakes need fixing. There's something with the battery. Something with the seatbelt. <laughs> At least he's got a full tank of gas, but everything else is wrong. You know, these lights, these lights are a warning to us that something is wrong. Well, that is what guilt is to you and I in our lives. It's God's warning that something is wrong and it needs to be fixed. If I continue to drive without fixing and checking into the light that's there, if I ignore it or pretend it's there, it doesn't mean that, that there isn't a problem. The problem is still there if I ignore it or pretend it's not there or not. The problem is still there. And that's what guilt is and light Jesus being the light, he reveals our guilt, our shame. He reveals where we have broken the law, the warning light that's there. But you know what the problem is, is many of us, when we look at God's word and God begins to reveal to us from the word through preaching like this, through the study and, and going deeper into God's word, God begins to reveal where sin has entered into our life. In fact, the scripture says in the New Testament, the word of God is like a mirror that shines into our life. It, it's a reflection of what's in our life. And if we don't look into the word and, and, and say, God, we want to live according to your word and we want to follow the ways of your word and we, we, we ignore it, then it's like a man looking in a mirror and he, and he forgets what he looks like. In fact, you know that this is true. The closer you are to the mirror, the better that you can see. 
The further you are from the mirror, the more things look good. They, they appear to be good, but the reality is it's a false perception. Far away from a mirror, we can look good, but the closer you get up, <laughs> it's a different story. Well, that's what the Bible says is the further we get away from God and his word, the more we are deceived by how we look of the sin that's in our heart. How do many of us handle this guilt in our life is like Adam and Eve all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, back in the garden when they had sinned and, and they had eaten of that forbidden fruit. The Bible says, in fact, I put it in your, your notes there, that when God came, they sowed fig leaves together to try to hide themselves, to cover up themselves because they realized that they were naked before the Lord. They realized that they had rebelled and, and their eyes had been open. And the scripture says that they tried to hide from the Lord. Why? The scripture goes on say because we were afraid we were afraid because we were naked and then Adam uh, when the scripture goes a little bit further said he he gave uh, with, uh, Eve gave me the fruit and he began to blame her for the sin that he had found himself in and in this few little verses here that I've shared with you it shows how many of us often handle guilt in our lives we try to hide from, uh, uh, we try to hide it where there's a guilt and a shame and a condemnation in us for what we've done or we try to blame others but it really is a revelation of, of, of what happens when God's light begins to reveal the guilt and the sin in our life, how we respond to that. But yet here in our story, Jesus is going to help us to see that it's not the law that will condemn her and it's not the law that will hold her, but it's the grace that will save her if she begins to realize he is in her midst. With you, if you will, look in your verse with me here in John 8 and verse 6. It says Jesus bent down and he, he started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, I, wanna, I want you to picture this with me. They've caught this woman in the act of adultery. They bring her trying to entrap him, saying, the law of Moses says that she must be stoned. What do you say? And the next verse says that Jesus bends down in the ground and he begins to write on the ground with his finger. Now, it doesn't tell us what he's writing, but I can begin to imagine what began to take place. Well, the scripture continues in verse 7, and, and it says, when they kept on questioning him, they kept pressing him to, to, to tell them what should happen to this woman that's been caught in adultery, it says he straightens up and he says to them, he says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. Now, this is an amazing verse as you look at this because, first of all, when, when he says this, this word without sin means that not only is one perfect without sin, but they don't even want to sin. There's not even a desire to sin. So he says, if there's any of you that is without sin, any of you that doesn't even have the desire to sin, then you be the one that casts the first stone. And then it says he stopped. And, and, and he's now, remember, he, he was writing in the ground. He stopped and he stoops down again and he begins to write in the ground. And at this, 
I think this is phenomenal. At this, those who heard begin to go away one at a time. The oldest first, it says, until only Jesus was left and uh, with that woman standing there alone. Now, I picture this in my mind, what's happening. Jesus is writing. They're pressing him. And all of this is happening. And as Jesus stands up, I can picture in, in my mind that he says, those of you who are without sin. And I can imagine Jesus is pointing down to what he's been writing in the ground. You see, we don't know what he's written in the ground, but I just have a picture in my mind from this story that he was beginning to write in the ground the very sins of the accusers that were there that day. Maybe there was a sin of homosexuality. Maybe there was a sin of immorality. Maybe there was a sin of gossip. There was definitely a sin of hypocrisy. There was these things that he began to write. We don't know what he wrote. But I can imagine that as he stands up and he says, those of you who are without sin, it's as though he's pointing to the sins that are in the ground. Let them be the one that casts the first stone. And as he scoops down, he continues to write. It says, one by one, starting with the oldest first, they began to withdraw until only Jesus was left. Now think about that for a moment. In this woman's darkest moment, when people are condemning her, when she is guilty and she, according to the law of Moses, should be put to death. In her darkest moment, the only one that's left for her is Jesus. And Jesus straightens up and he says, woman, where are they? Where are those who have condemned you and are judging you? And she says, no one, sir. They're all gone. I can imagine tears are flowing from her cheeks. And there's a moment of grace that's being released into her life. And Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. And in her darkest moment, and that's what happens, is in our darkest moment when we turn to Jesus, what happens is Jesus reveals to you and I, yes, we are guilty, but that guilt is not what condemns us. We are guilty, and if we will confess our sin, there is a grace that's released to you and I. If you're taking notes, write it down. The light reveals the grace of God as they put it on the screen. It's that light, uh, light of God that, that is revealed to you and I and Jesus reveals God's grace to us. As you look at this verse, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Can I tell you one of the greatest things that happens when we receive the grace of God is that the condemnation is gone. That which has condemned us and, and where Satan, the accuser, has made accusation against us. What Satan will do against you and I is he will come and he will say, you can't be redeemed. The sins of your life, the mistakes that you've made, the fears and the doubts that you have, God could never use your life. You can't turn your life around. And what he does is he begins to hide the consequences of our sin. And then when we sin, he's there as the accuser. He's, he's there to condemn us and he's there to hold us in that dark moment. But the beauty of God's grace is in repentance. God brings us out of our condemnation and he brings us into a place where we are not what people say that we are. These accusers were attacking her, but this was not who she was. She was one that was going to be with Jesus. And in that moment of her darkest hour, Jesus' grace, the grace of God is released to her. I want you to hear me today. 
If you're here today in a dark hour, I want you to know that when you turn your life to Christ and you receive the grace of God, you are a new creation in God. What does that mean? Is your past is gone. That means that, that God is separating you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. When I used to hear that verse, I used to think from Florida to California, my sins were separated. But after this trip I just took, I'm telling you, I got a whole new perspective on as far as the east is from the west. In fact, they told us where we were there in the South Pacific, way, way, way past Africa, over there by India, they said, you have two ways to get home. You're at the, you're at the midway point. You can go back west and go back home, or you can just go on east and fly back that way home. You are as far as the east is from the west. I got a new perspective of what that means, is that when we come to God in grace, our sin are, are, are removed as far as the east is with the west. What does that mean? It's so we're no longer held against you and I. We're no longer guilty by the law because now we are in grace and that grace makes us a new creation. Can I hear an amen? We're not. You got to hear me today. We're not what others say we are. What others say about you is not who you are when you come to Christ. What the enemy says you are, what the enemy's holding over you from your past, that is not you any longer. There is a verse in the Bible that says there is no condemnation for those who are what? Who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in grace. Those who have received forgiveness. Those who have repented. Now there is no condemnation against you any longer. Look, look at the next part of this verse. John chapter 8 and verse 11. Look at this, verse 11. Oh, wait, verse 11. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. When we come to that place of grace in our life, what Jesus is saying is I want you to, there's an urgency here. I want you to, to, to leave that life of sin. What he was saying is you don't have to stay in that dark moment. For some of you that are here today, you're walking through a dark season right now. The enemy is accusing you. The enemy is attacking you. There's guilt. There's shame. There's condemnation. You're there with fear and doubt. Maybe you're even blaming others. Can I tell you what God is saying to you is go now and leave that life of sin. What he's saying is you don't have to stay in your darkness anymore. In just a few moments, I'm going to open up these altars. And if you're in a dark season, I'm telling you, when you come and you begin to worship and you begin to praise him and you begin to confess your sin just as those accusers left that woman your accuser will leave you and the grace of God will be released over your life and that leads us to our third and final thought that that's here and that brings us to verse 12 once again I started with this verse but in verse 12 look what it says when Jesus spoke again to the people he said I am the light of the world Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, let me, let, me, let me wrap this up before I give you the action steps. Jesus begins to reveal our guilt, our sin, our darkness. We are guilty like this woman was guilty. She deserved to die according to the law. And according to the law, our sin separates us, which is a spiritual death. 
But through Jesus Christ, the revelation is not just our guilt, but the revelation is his grace. And that grace is released as we repent of our sin. Now hear me today. The only way God's grace is released in your life is through repentance of our sins. And can I tell you, the only way that you can be saved is through God's grace. So the only way that you will be that new creation, the only way that you will find that eternal life is to recognize like that woman that you are guilty, that you have sinned, that you have rebelled, that you are indeed guilty of breaking the laws of God but when you agree with God and say God I know that I have but God I need your grace in the repentance that comes from your lips there is a grace a mercy that's released into your life and you no longer have to stay in that sin that's kept you bound the power of sin can be broken in Jesus name Can I tell you, that is a hope for every one of us. If you're taking notes, it's the third thought that I leave with you is God's grace reveals my hope. And that is he's not just the light of the world, but he is the light of my world. John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Linked with 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us of our unrighteousness. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back out. And as our worship team comes, I want to give you these final action steps before we pray. And that is if you're going to receive God's grace, to receive the hope of eternal life, to, to receive that hope that, that, that assures you that when the accusers are attacking you, that you are in Christ, that there is no condemnation. You've got to learn to live in the grace of God. And where it starts is, first of all, by telling God, admitting to God that you realize that you have sinned and rebelled against him. That's not just at salvation. Yes, it starts there, but it's a lifestyle that I live. It's a, it's a revelation that I've, I've rebelled against you. I've turned away from you. I've not done what you've wanted me to do. I've not lived according to your way. And God, today, I admit that I need you in my life. It starts there. What we call that is surrendering to God, yielding to God recognizing that, that, that my guilt will condemn me if I don't repent. But when I repent, God's grace is released to me. Psalm 69 and, and verse 5. Psalm 69 and verse 5 says, God, you know what I've done wrong, and I cannot hide my guilt from you. When that becomes not just something intellectual, but it becomes something of your heart. When you say, put it up there one more time, God, you know what I've done wrong. For some of you today, your darkness and the dark moment of your life is because there is sin that's condemning you. But as soon as you confess, God, I know that what I've done is wrong and I'm not gonna hide it. I cannot hide it. My guilt, I can't hide it from you. You're revealing it to me. In that moment, God releases. He releases the guilt. He removes the sin. And he begins to enable you to walk with a power. It leads to the second step. And that second step is we start trusting God's character. What do I mean by God's character? It's who he is and what he's promised to do. 
You see, our salvation is built on the character of God. It's a deep theological aspect and a deep understanding that we don't save ourselves, but God saves us through his gift that's come through his son, Jesus Christ, and his character is never changing. When you come into the presence of God, you don't change God. God changes you. You don't manipulate God. You don't force God. You don't mandate to God. It bugs when people say they demand God. Who are you to demand God anything? You're the creation. He's the creator. You don't demand the creator anything. I command that you honor your word. Be careful. Don't be irreverent to God because God can strike us like that. And what I'm saying is God's character is true and we hold on to his character and his character is that God will remove our sin and, and his grace is released as we get closer to him. The closer we get, the more his grace is released into my life. You see, when I get to know him, I get, I get close to him, I get into his word. When I come to worship services like this, I mean, I gotta be honest, I hate to miss worship. Every week, I hate to miss work. In fact, I was 10 hours ahead of you last week. 10 hours ahead of you in time. I'd been up all day. I went and preached a service. By the way, that was something. I was going just to worship. And, and as I got there, service was already started. I was like some of you. I was late. Uh, I'm sorry. I said that out loud. I got, I got held up in traffic, and I, I was delayed, and I come walking in, service just started, a few minutes late, and, and the pastor knew we were coming, and, and, and so he brought me into his office, and we, we talked literally two minutes, just two minutes, and the pastor said, well, what's on your heart for the people today? Well, I knew where he was going. I said, no, I'm just here to worship today. I'm just here to receive today, and we talked a couple more minutes, and he says, I'm sure God's got a word that he wants to share with the people through you today. I said, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just here to worship. I want to hear you today. You know, we went a few minutes later, and then finally he says, no, I want you to preach today. <laughs> he thought maybe there was a miscommunication. And we walked down, and sure enough, I preached. When I left, the missionary said, did you know that was going to happen? I said, well, I had a sermon on my iPad just in case. <laughs> but as I preached... And God moved around the altars. We went back to the hotel. Ten hours ahead of you, I turned on the internet. And I watched the end of the first service. And then I watched almost all of the second service. But that was like really late. And, uh, and, uh, and, I, and I got all the way to that point where I picked up from the first service. Because I hate to miss being in the presence of God. Why? It's because it's there that we learn about his character. It's there that we get to know him. It's there in his presence. Through his word, through my devotions, through worship services, in life group, in fellowshipping with one another. You know what's happening is your, your image of who God is is being formed. Some of you in the dark season of your life right now, you're there because you don't understand the character of God and what God is wanting to do in and through your life. Look at this verse in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. Let us come near to God. What amazes me is that God gives you and I access. What breaks my heart when I come back from a missions trip like I've just come back on is they have the same access, but they don't know it. 
And in this verse, it says, let us come near to God with a sincere heart and with a sure faith. What does that mean? Come before God. When I open these altars in just a few moments, for those that are in dark seasons, those that are in moments where you know you need God's grace, you're walking through difficulty, and you need God's grace released over your life, what happens is you come before him without any hypocrisy, without any religious spirit, without any pride holding you back. I can't tell you the number of times I've been in prayer around an altar, and I just find myself face forward, maybe kneeling at the, at the pew, maybe uh, up here around the stairs, just kneeling. Sometimes I walk through this auditorium praying, and I'll find myself on a pew up around this place, just praying and crying out to God. And there's a moment where there's a sincere heart that we all bring before the Lord. And it says in our verse there, when we come before him with a sincere heart and a sure faith, we do it because we have been made free from a guilty conscience. We can know him. We can know his presence. We can know his power. It can be released to you and I. When that happens and we begin to recognize the grace of God in our life, the third step is we just accept forgiveness. We don't live in shame and condemnation. We learn to forgive ourselves. We recognize that we've been forgiven. God is removing it. And finally, we learn to live in God's grace. Learn to live in God's grace. To know that, that, that God will give me strength to stand. When I'm tempted, God will give me grace to stand. When, when, when I'm troubled, God will give me grace to stand. When I'm tired, God will give me grace to stand. I live in the grace of God. Father, I thank you that today... And Father, there is hope in our darkest hours. There is grace that's released even when guilt has been revealed. There's grace that comes to those that find you in that darkest hour. And today I know that there may be a few that are in a very dark moment of their life. They feel disconnected. They feel overwhelmed. Maybe the, there's been some things in their life that, that, that has caused great guilt, shame, and condemnation. Maybe there's just an overwhelming sense of fear and doubt. Maybe there's, there's a disillusionment. that They're just disillusioned by what's happening in their life. Things are falling apart all around them, and there's a dark moment. Maybe the sin in their life, the enemy, the accuser, is making accusation. They don't feel forgiven. They don't feel any hope. They don't, they don't feel like they can make it through. Today, God, your word is a word that reminds us that when we come to you, when the guilt is revealed and we come to you, grace will be released. And the grace is our hope, the hope that you are lighting our life. Today I pray that you will release grace to those who are deeply ashamed. Today you will release grace to those who need a healing in their life. Today you will release grace to those who are honest enough. Honest enough to say, God, I'm in a dark moment and I need your grace to stand. God, today 
That you will give grace to those that recognize that there is a sin that they've not been able to overcome, but today you're going to break it. That grace will be released to those who are in fear. That grace will be released to those who are overwhelmed. Today, grace will be released in the darkest moment. If you're here today, heads are bowed all around. And you would say, Pastor, I know that I need God's grace released in this dark moment of my life. Would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me. I'm walking through a difficult time. What you've said today as though you, you're speaking right to me. And I know it's for me. Just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me today. Wow, hands are going up all over. You can put your hand down. Heads are still bowed. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I acknowledge today that I'm not in a right place with the Lord today. I recognize today that, that, that there is guilt and the guilt is my sin. And I've got to be honest and say, <laughs> I've not done and I've not lived the way God would want me to. But today I recognize it. I realize it. And today, I realize I need salvation, and I need to surrender this. I need to yield this. And today, I want, a, I, want a, I want a new start. I want a new beginning. I want to commit my life to him. Today, I want to become a follower. I want the grace and the peace of God in my life. If that's you, would you lift your hand and say, Pastor, that's me today. I know that's me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. All through the balcony. God bless you. Hallelujah. You can put your hands down. Would you stand with me across this auditorium? Hallelujah. As the Spirit just begins to do a work, sing that chorus for me. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to visit the website of Rejoice Marriage Ministries at www.rejoiceministries.org. Thanks for joining us today as we proclaim that God heals hurting marriages.